You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 174. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery, long-term addiction recovery. When I say that, what does that feel like to you? Right now, I, I get shivers in, in my arms and in my legs, like I get the goosebumps whenever I think about what long-term addiction recovery means to me, what it feels like, what it sounds like when I say it, what I visualize my life being like as I'm in it. Also realizing that each and every day is another chance to further be in it and further create the life that I've always desired. I have spent an inordinate amount of time creating the ideas for the next handful of episodes that I want to help those of you who are new to sobriety and ultimately addiction recovery, um, you know, the universe willing and your effort obviously playing a huge role in that. I must have recorded this episode multiple times. I did it on a boat in Broken Bow. I did it in my backyard of my parents' house in Broken Bow. I tried shooting it before I even left for Broken Bow. This idea that I'm going to come up with this perfect episode that is going to encapsulate everything that you're going to experience as you begin this journey. Um, It was a fruitless endeavor and certainly one that I was willing to take on. And so here we are uh, with the episode that I'm ultimately going to post because there is no more holding this one back. I'd like to have it out for everybody by, you know, Tuesday night at midnight like I usually do, um, or at least like I usually try to do. (laughs) When I went back and thought about all the things that I talked about in these previous episodes that I shot that you'll never hear, Maybe I rambled a lot. Maybe it was a hodgepodge. Maybe I was trying to, you know, be gentle and also forceful and, you know, trying to do it a certain way so that you could have all the inspiration and all the hope and and all the positive energy that's possible whenever you're taking on such a life-changing decision. And ultimately, even for those of you who are longtime listeners to this show, there's a lot of benefit in listening to this episode again because, one, um, you're going to learn things that maybe helped you then that you can reevaluate how you could utilize them now. And and really at the core of my being, I believe that addiction is just a habit that has gotten way, way, way too ingrained into our mind, body, and spirit. And it's just screwed itself so deep into our psyche that it becomes the essence of who we are. That when we look in the mirror, we don't just see ourselves anymore. We don't even really see ourselves as much as we see the addiction. We see this version of ourselves that has just been manipulated by this intoxicant for so long that it literally has spread into every single facet of our lives. There's not one area of our life that it has not touched It might be your time management. It might be your work ethic. It might be the way you talk to yourself, your self-esteem, your confidence. It absolutely has affected the way that other people see you. It's 
certainly affected how honest you can be with people about what you did last night, how drunk you got, how high you got, why you weren't there where you were supposed to be, why you were late, why you were this. It is a string of thousands upon thousands of lies that we have told ourselves and others in order to manipulate the situation to make the continuation of using seem attainable, seem something that we can actually keep doing. When you get to the point where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, threats about what it's going to do adversely to your health, pictures of charred lungs because you continue to smoke, pictures of other people who've done meth for years, pictures of what your kidneys and liver look like inside your body because of long-term alcohol intake. This stuff doesn't work. If pictures scared us, then we would. the moment we saw a charred lung, we'd stop smoking. The moment we saw somebody who had done meth for years, we would quit or we would never start. The moment we see what the, you know, somebody who's done coke for years, what their teeth look like, what their face looks like, what their life looks like, we'd, just, we'd never have started. And we certainly wouldn't have continued. So fear-mongering our way out of this isn't going to work. Any more than for those of you looking to change other major habits in your life, perhaps you're put on too much weight, perhaps you yell and scream at people rather than talk to them like a mature adult, perhaps you get angry about things that you'd rather not get angry about, or you constantly judge and complain. These habits are just as detrimental. Now, they may not seem as detrimental because you can't necessarily take a picture of what somebody who walks around with a negative, pessimistic cloud over their head looks like. We don't all look like Eeyore when we do that. We can be happy. We can be chipper. um, We can look healthy. We can have a nice house and and cars and a flush bank account. We can have all of those things. Hell, you can have those things and still be an active user. Certainly, there are plenty of very rich people, you know, let's just say up there in the Ivy League zone, who are, you know, venture capitalists and trading stocks, and they're living in big plush houses, and they're addicted to meth. They can get away with it substantially longer because of their financial income, but at the end of the day, it's going to ruin their lives just as much as it's going to ruin anybody's life who's down here and let's just say more of the American middle class to lower class kind of uh, economic background, right? There's just some people who've got millions and the rest of us, maybe if we're lucky, we have hundreds or even a couple thousand saved up. But it doesn't mean that it's not going to destroy our life just as much as it's going to destroy their life. And it doesn't mean that walking around with, you know, an extra 50, 100 pounds or screaming at people and being negative and constantly pessimistic doesn't mean that those habits won't also give you less, a less than life. It ruin your life in some manner of speaking. Now, will it be the same as, you know, crack and heroin and meth and, and coke and, and, you know, whatever else? Okay. Can I even blanket statement say yes or no to that? Again, what is the quality of life you desire for yourself? What is the standard you are willing to set for yourself today? It's easy to be sober. It's hard to be sober. It's easy to step into long-term recovery. It's hard to step into long-term recovery. Any one of those can be very real and very true on any given day. Hell, any given minute of your day. Five and a half years, over 2017 days into this journey, and I still have those days where I'm emotionally in flux. A family member gets upset because I'm not willing to break a boundary for them, and now that's bringing a bunch of chaos into the family, and there's conversations going on, and I don't know how to handle all of those emotions. 
I'm going to lash out and tell people that they're being ridiculous. I also want to take some personal responsibility and say, okay, I can't blame, complain, or make excuses for other people. I can only handle me. And if I made the decisions that are best for me, regardless of the decisions other people may have made in the past for me, they still made those decisions for themselves first, and I was a beneficiary. It doesn't necessarily mean that I need to do the same things that they did because those things aren't healthy for me. I may have asked of somebody something once a long time ago, and then they fulfilled that. And then perhaps they come and they, go and they ask for something similar. But that's not something that I feel comfortable fulfilling. I'm grateful that they fulfilled it for me, but it was not something that I ever even said remotely that I'd be willing to fulfill back for them. I still have these moments, and I'm being you know, vague for a reason because some of the family members are listening to the show, but they'll certainly know what I'm talking about. There's just things that you have to understand about yourself when you step into sobriety and recovery that you probably don't even are aware of or even think will be things that you will ultimately end up discovering, let alone needing to figure out. Your emotional balance, your your dopamine and serotonin levels, what makes you happy, what makes you sad, what activates this desire to use, i.e. trigger and cueing. When you step into this this contemplation and preparation mode, you're not even at day one yet, right? You're, you're thinking about it and you're planning for it, but you haven't stepped into it. So if you've stepped into it and you're planning on stepping into it and you're at day one, week one, month one, let's discuss some of the things that you're going to experience because I think it's extremely important that somebody's honest with you about this. And again, fifth time shooting this episode, I'll do my best to make this as powerful as possible, knowing full well I'm going to leave things out. Not intentionally, it's just what's going to happen because I've got so much information, I don't even know how my brain organizes what to tell you sometimes. When you first get into sobriety and recovery, your central nervous system is going to be fried. It already is fried. It's, it, if it wasn't fried, you wouldn't even be here. If your whole life wasn't just fried, that's not whole life, but definitely many aspects of it weren't just fried out, you wouldn't even be listening to this show. You'd be in that pre-contemplation phase where you don't think anything's wrong. When now that you're here, we understand that some part of you is just freaking tired of the way that it's been, and it wants it to be something different. And the first thing you're going to contend with is going to be your body and mind colliding on this decision. Your body has got this central nervous system, right? And this just refers to this interconnected network of nerve cells that provide your body with its most basic physical and mental functions. Right, there's this whole thing. I'm not Mr. Science guy, so I'm not going to bust. I mean, I am. I love this, but I don't try to dive you too deep into it. You can certainly Google how does the central nervous system affected by alcohol, and there'll be tons of information. But when you think about how all the nerves in your body are connected, right, and it's all this stuff's going through the spinal column into the brain. Everything is connected. So this alcohol is it has affected your dopamine levels, your serotonin levels. It has completely askewed what you think it is to be happy or sad or mad or angry or glad or joyful. All of these things are different now than they were before you started using. And because we naturally mature and grow and age, you weren't able to experience the natural maturation and growing and and just aging and and figuring out all these experiences of, of life, you weren't able to do those with a clear mind, a steady hand. 
you were putting in toxicants into your body, which was changing every aspect of your life. So when you step into day one, you're not even really sure who you are. Because who you have been for so long has been the user, has been the addict. What are you actually interested in whenever you get sober? Who do you actually want to be around when you're sober? What do you actually want to talk about and experience and have in your life when you're sober? What you think you want on day one, week one, month one may not ultimately be where you go. May not be the end game. And that's okay. One of the biggest messages I had with a, with a recent um, listener of the show who chose to um, learn NLP um, through me and, and my course that I teach with Aubrey was that you do not have to do everything today. You can seek to start putting some pieces together. What's one thing you can do to get today to move forward on a more physically healthy body? What's one de- thing you can do today to move in a more healthy emotional um, response, a more emotional intelligence? What's one thing you can do today to help your mental acuity, to help you get a little bit brighter, wiser, learn a little bit something that you can turn into a skill and start to practice and do more often? What's one thing you can do to really bring your spiritual health up to where you want it to be? Knowing that spiritual health doesn't necessarily mean religion as much as where are you at on your ecology? Are things good for you, your loved ones, the world, morals, ethics, values, standards? What are those in your life? I had no idea what I was getting myself into on day one. I just knew I was ready for it to be day one. I I was done. And if you found yourself at the action phase, then you've made that decision. But have you made it for yourself or have you made it for somebody else? And the problem with making it for somebody else is if they don't give you the feedback that you desire, whether consciously or unconsciously, if they do not give you the feedback you desire, want, need, whatever word you want to put in there, they don't give you that feedback you desire, then in that moment where that feedback wasn't reciprocated, where they didn't pat you on the back, they didn't step up and help you when you needed it, you could find that to be like, well, why am I even doing this? I was doing this for them, but they don't even appreciate it. So screw it. Why why even go through all this? I'm just going to go back to being who I was. Other people are living their lives too. No one person can ever be there for you 100% of the time. No matter how much they love you, care for you, cherish you, marry you, have children with you, whatever you had, they are your children. They have their lives too. They have things that they've prioritized. They've had things they care about. And they can people please the shit out of you, but at some point they're going to fry out. And what they really want to be doing is going to show itself to be true. And if you have been crossing their boundaries in order to fulfill whatever internal dialogue you're having with yourself that helps you stay on your sober path, if they begin to show failings of being there for you and propping you up all the time, and that's who you were using as your motivation to stay sober, you're going to have some problems. You're going to have some opportunities for solutions, but if you go into it with the wrong mindset, with this mindset that they should care. They wanted this. They talked to me about it. They badgered me. They beat me down. They talked shit to me for years, and now I'm finally sober, and they're not building fucking pedestals and statues in my honor. Fuck them. I'm going back. 
that's why doing it for other people doesn't work. Because at some point, they are going to disappoint you. And if it's not for you and it's for them, you're going to see that as a somewhere in your brain. It's going to be like, oh, sweet, we can go back. Yes, let's call up our dealer. Let's go visit the alcohol guy at the corner, you know, bodega store because he might think I'm dead because he hasn't seen me in five and a half years. This has to be for you. You can white knuckle it for a little while. You can, you can, you can white knuckle it for a day, a week, a month. Hell, you can, I mean, you can white knuckle it for 300 days if you want to. You can sit there and just willpower the shit out of yourself and keep pushing days in. But at some point, the pink cloud's going to wane, right? If you let it go and you don't attach enough amazingness to your sobriety and recovery, at some point, that pink cloud, you'll think it's gone. I don't think mine's gone. I definitely think that there are days where it's a lot more apparent than others, but I'm still joyful about my sobriety and recovery because I did it for myself. The people who badgered me about my drinking, who demanded that I do something better with my life, most of those people aren't even in my life anymore. They had no problem telling me how wrong my life was while I was living it the way they believed was wrong. But as soon as I started making changes, all of a sudden, they were nowhere to be found. So what? They couldn't whip my ass anymore? So it just wasn't any fun to talk to me? They had to look at themselves in the mirror and say, damn, if Jesse, Mr. Frickin' 22 years of hardcore alcoholism and drug use, can you know stop on a dime, which again, didn't really stop on a dime, but if he can stop and move on from that habit, what is wrong with me and why can't I step away from the habits I no longer perceive as benefiting me? Now somebody's looking in the mirror and they're getting pissed at themselves and they're taking it out on my image in their head because how dare I actually do the things that I'd always said I was going to do in order to achieve the improvement of my life. This is why somebody who is, let's say, 100 pounds overweight, 50 pounds, 20 pounds overweight, hanging out with a bunch of other 20 pounds overweight people who decides they're going to start eating healthy and being more active so they can release that weight. This is why those friends, it's almost like, okay, this is what it's like. Let me let me stop right here. I remember when I was taught neurolinguistic programming. They they one of the metaphors, one of the analogies that was taught to us was if you put a bunch of crabs in a bucket, inevitably the crabs will want to get out of the bucket. And one crab will start to crawl up the bucket, stepping on other crabs in order to get out of the bucket. And whenever it's almost got its claw over the edge, the other crabs will grab the crab that's almost got itself free, almost ready to pull itself up out of that bucket, and they will pull the crab back in. People who have studied this have, they, I mean, other than just guessing why, it's like this idea like, nope, we're in the bucket. We want you to be in the bucket too. If you get out of the bucket, then what? Now we have to get out of the bucket? And we don't want to get out of the bucket. We don't know what we're going to do if we do get out of the bucket. We have created our entire lives in this bucket. We don't want to see that there's life outside the bucket. Bucket is life. If we try to see you leaving, we're going to drag your ass back in. This is why when you go to make improvements in your life, if your social circle, if those five people you spend the most time around are ones who are content or unwilling to put in the effort that you are now willing to put in, in order to change their, your life so that it can be whatever you perceive is better, they're going to pull your ass back in the bucket. You're hanging out with a bunch of people, 20 pounds overweight, and none of them really want to do what they see you doing, but then you start to release those, those pounds, right? Next thing you know, they're talking smack behind your back. Maybe they're not talking to you as much at all, making snide comments. Oh, I can't believe you're starving yourself like that. I just couldn't do that to myself. 
whatever comments they might be making, it's more about what's going on inside of their head, what's going on inside of their model of the world that has anything to do with you. And we've talked about this before. We have absolutely brought this up before. Whether it's the mask that people wear, whether it's the self-awareness that they have, this cognitive dissonance around themselves. Here soon I'm going to go back in and I'm going to change all the names of the podcast because I want to be able to bring these back up in a, in a much more easily manner so that it's easier for you guys to go back and check out some of the old episodes because right now I'm trying to go through here and figure out where exactly did I bring up other people trying to grab you back in the bucket and I'm back all the way to 100 and I haven't found it and I don't want to sit here and ramble on the microphone. So let's just reel it in and bring it back to what I'm discussing now in as much as if your social circle has their own things and they've just been projecting their disappointment in themselves upon you because yours is more obvious. Yours is more apparent. Yes, if you are the person in your family doing meth and nobody else is doing meth, you are absolutely going to be seen as the black sheep. You are going to be treated as such and everybody's going to be able to pile up on you when they get together. And as long as they're piling up on you, they don't have to look at themselves. People who spend the most time judging are often the ones with the dirtiest house. It's like that old Bible thing. It's like, you know, throwing stones in a glass house or pull the splinter out of your, you know, pull the, you know, pull the the timber out of your eye before you try to pull the splinter out of mine, whatever it is. So when you go into these beginning stages of day one, week one, month one, you're going to have this whole central nervous system thing. Your whole brain's fried. Your whole body is fried. You're looking for ways to, to bring an equilibrium. And what's been bringing you an equilibrium has been the using all of this time. So now you don't get to do that anymore. So there's two things to focus on when you first get sober. When you first start making any change in your life, releasing some weight, um, no longer being angry, uh, automatic negative thoughts, there are two things I have found, without a doubt, that bring me the most ability to notice and feel change that, that I want to see in my life. Basically, like, there's a lot. Right? There's going to be this whole mind-body-spirit thing. There's the mindset. There's how we're creating habits. But when it comes down to the two things that I most easily begin to change so that I can start to feel change in my life, it comes down to my physical body and my environment. Your physical body has been taking a freaking beating. A beating. If you've been drinking a shit ton of booze or doing a ton of drugs, hell, if you have been engorging yourself on 250 grams of sugar every single day for the last 10 years, your body is taking a beating. Day one is not going to feel great. Whatever it is that you've decided to quit, even if it's screaming at people for doing things you don't like, I mean, your body has, has been used to that adrenaline rush, blood rushing to the surface of your skin, your pupils dilating, that adrenaline rush that comes from being angry at people. Even that is addictive. Let alone start adding in alcohol and drugs and sugar, nicotine. So your body is going to be out of whack. It's going to be out of sorts. Getting it to feel immediately right day one, it's, it's not attainable. And that's okay that it's not attainable because you know that going in. Five and a half years in, and I still look at myself in the mirror and say, yeah, there's a couple more pounds I can release. There's a couple more muscles that I can grow. There's a couple more, um, you know, well, my goodness gracious, I know there's a couple more inches of hair on the top of my head I'd like to have. There's going to be things about your physical body that you look in the mirror, you're not necessarily always going to be thrilled with. 
but it is the body that you have, and it is the effort that you take day by day, step by step, that will actually provide with you the changes that you seek in your life. When I was a teenager, I had a major supermodel crush on Cindy Crawford. And she has a quote that says that at 25, you have the face that God gave you. At 50, you have the face that you've earned. In our youth, we can keep weight off to a certain extent. Our skin looks you know, pretty healthy. We are we're relatively healthy-ish at 25, depending on the food and how much water and the drugs and the alcohol and the abuse that we put upon ourselves or the world is placed upon us. It's, let's just say that it's a lot easier to be healthy at 25 than it is at 46. There's a lot more effort I'm putting into it now. I go to a trampoline park yesterday with my niece and my right knee immediately starts to swell. My lower back starts to hurt. And I'm like, okay, you know, clearly should warm up a little bit more. She's bouncing around like a, you know, like a ball and a bouncy ball. And me and mom over here worried about my right knee blowing out. There's things that are going to change about your body as you age. And the more you beat up your body, the more it's going to hurt those first, you know, whatever period of time at the beginning. Your central nervous system is whacked, man. It is, it is out of whack. It is out of sorts. You're going to want to become more active immediately. I don't care if you've already, you, you might work out every single day and you just quit alcohol, right? But you were working out while you were on alcohol. It's going to, the experience is going to be different now that you're sober. I hid in the gym for hours upon hours, damn near every single day for those first couple months because I just didn't want to be in the environment of my house, of my room where I had been using. Now, what can you do physically active? You can go get steps, right? I know some of y'all out there, you write me that you run. I'm not, I, I don't run anymore. I did half marathons for a year. I, then I blew out my meniscus and, and my knees, you know, five years later. And now my knee swells when I jump around on trampolines. I'm no longer a running man, but I'm definitely a walking man. And I'll crush through five, seven, ten miles a day, if that's what time allows me and the phone calls I have coming on. Any of y'all who ever had sessions with me know that there are sometimes where we we take those. I really like to call them cell phone walk and talks, where it's like, okay, let's get let's both of us put on our shoes, let's get outside, let's walk while we go through this session. You want to get more active, whatever that means to you, but do something today for one minute even. I talked to you guys about one of my tribal members, Miles, right? He gives me a holler at the beginning of the year. He's got these grandiose plans. I love everything that this guy's got going on in his life. He busts his ass, working hard. I mean, just very, very, very consistent. It's the consistency that Miles takes on day in and day out. He does something good for his leadership, something good for his business, something good for his health, something good to bond with his wife and his child. It's, it's the consistency that impresses me about Miles. Because he listens and he does these things, but he does it for himself. Everybody else gets the benefit of it. And when we got off that session that day, it came down to just do something for one minute today. Six months later, he released all the weight he wanted and sent me a picture of himself on the scale at the number he told me he wanted to achieve by halfway through the year. And he nailed it. Yes, it took six months, but it didn't take him overnight to put on that weight any more than it took you overnight to become an alcoholic or a drug addict or a sugar addict or a nicotine fiend or whatever. It took years to create it. So it's going to take a substantial amount of time to reverse it. What is your mindset? Like, okay, are you in this for the long haul? Great. Understand there's going to be a lot of stuff that happens in your life that is just life. It is not a sign to go back to using. 
It is a sign that, hallelujah, I get to be clear-minded and clear-hearted so that I can handle this as the best version of myself today. Knowing that each day I'm learning more, I'm experiencing more, and I'm getting more and more comfortable with who I am now going to be. And your this this evolution and this growth, it is just it's nonstop. What dreams and goals have you always had for your life? Let's discuss those. Day one, you don't have to worry about accomplishing them all today. You might have some legal troubles, some financial issues, some relationship and marital problems going on at the house. That's great. You're not going to fix them all today. But for one minute today, you can do one thing that will start to motivate you and provide you momentum in that direction. It is your physical body getting up and doing something rather than just thinking about it that will create the change in your life that you desire. You also have your environment. Look around your home, look around your office, look around your workspace, uh, your garage, your apartment, right? Whatever you consider environments that you frequent often. When you walk into them, what is the pictures that come up in your mind? If you walk into your living room and that's where you used to always sit there and get drunk and watch TV for hours on end and you come home and you sit in that same spot, That is going to be an activator. It's going to be a cue. There's going to be some level of trigger that's going to come from, well, I used to come home and sit down in this exact same spot and sit here with the TV flicker in my hand for four hours and sit here on my phone going through social media for two more hours. And now I'm just sitting here and I don't even get to be wasted while I'm doing it. This sucks. And your mind's going to try to bring you back to what is comfortable. Your brain is seeking comfortability for you. It wants you to survive and it wants you to be comfortable in order to feel like it is surviving in the best way possible for you. So when you start to feel super uncomfortable and stress and anxiety and paranoia and depression step in, it is going to want to go back to its favorite resource to alleviate those feelings. And that is going to be alcohol, drugs, sugar, nicotine, whatever it is you're seeking to release. So do something about your environment. Move your couch, move your television, move the dining room table, even if you don't have a lot of space. Even if where you move your furniture to seems stupid and ridiculous and it makes no sense and in a month you want to put it back where everything went because that was the only space you had and that was the perfect way for it to be set up, fine. But at the beginning stages, do everything it takes to cement this change into your life. In the book, um, it's either the one thing or um, one more thing. Of the, I just got done listening to one thing, and now I'm listening to a book called One More Thing, and they're written by different authors, but they're both fantastic. I swear the one more thing guy, it's almost like he listened to my podcast and turned it into a book because every single chapter he's talking about things I've introduced to y'all. Same thing with most of these books, right? If I didn't come across them and then start bringing you the material... It it was one thing when the book already existed and then I started doing shows about what it talked about. It's another thing when new books are coming out and they're literally about my podcast. I'm not saying he listened and stole anything from me. Don't be ridiculous. But what I am saying is that clearly I'm onto something here. So I'm I'm bringing you things that New York Times bestselling books are being written about. And one of the things that I've been talking about that I have definitely uncovered in my research is that a habit doesn't just take 7, 14, 21 a month to really instill. What it actually takes is time and effort. And it, according to one, one of those books, the one more thing or the one thing, it takes 66 days for it to fully embed into your life.
So 66 days is what this book talked about. And I absolutely believe that. Because you can go and eat healthy or go to the gym for 7, 14, 21, 28 days, right? But if something shows up in your life and then you don't go back for a couple weeks, you didn't really fully give it an opportunity to implant where your body felt super comfortable being there, right? It's the same thing with your environment, right? Like Something may not feel right about moving the couch or moving the TV for the first month or two, but if you give it some time, it might actually turn out to be the best decision you ever made. But people go to make these changes, and because it doesn't feel great the first minute or five or 10 or 20 or a week or month, then they're like, whoa, 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 this clearly isn't working. This doesn't feel right. I should go back to the way it was. But that's just your, your confirmation bias in your head saying, well, we were comfortable this way. Why are you changing it now? You're changing it because you realize that you visually seeing a different environment in your office, in your home, in your garage, wherever it is that you want to change, it's going to begin to change the way you interact with that room. It's going to begin to change the way that you feel when you're in that room. There are a lot of changes that can be made by shifting the environment and shifting your physical body within the environment. Now, we've also tried to move a couch and then we've still gone back to using. We've tried to move to a new apartment and we've still gone to back to using. We've tried to leave cities and found that when we got there, we were still an addict, right? Physical body and, and environment are not the end-all, be-all. They are the beginning of the journey. Working on your mindset, working on your optimism versus pessimism and your automatic negative thoughts and getting yourself involved in the sobriety community, whether it's going to meetings or getting a therapist or getting a mentor or a sponsor, all of these things play their role. But on day one, you're not going to have all of those. Week one, month one, hell, you might have a sponsor for six months and then they decide I'm good here. And now you're back with looking for the sponsor. So when you feel that something is off and that you are tempted to go back to the way things used to be, and you know you don't want to, but yet inside your mind, that super highway of, hey, if we don't feel things are going well, we always know that there's getting high. That's a super highway in your brain going for steps and getting a walk, going to the gym, calling up a loved one and having a heartfelt, vulnerable conversation, those things probably don't feel as normalized to you as going back and and getting high, getting drunk, eating a bunch of sugar, chain smoking cigarettes, whatever it might be. And truth be told, it is going to be relatively easier to hide away and get wasted or go to a bar and be the, everybody's best friend when you buy shots than it is going to be to you know sit there with yourself, understand your emotions, have that self-awareness, right? understand that you can respond rather than react, getting your physical body up, going and working out, being active. Yeah, those things take a lot more effort than just sitting on the couch with a bottle of booze in between your legs and a joint in your hand. Absolutely, it takes a lot more effort. But the payoff is a thousand times, a mil- infinitely better, infinitely better. Your environment can shift and it can shift back and it can shift with you and it can grow with you. You may not have the financial means to buy a new couch, but you may not even have that big of an apartment if you're, let's say you're in New York City, but you might have a huge house and you could move the TV into a different room. You could turn the TV off altogether and go outside and be active. I used to sit around and watch a ton of TV back in my using days. So now I have some rules. I don't sit around and watch TV in the middle of the day. That doesn't even, my brain doesn't even compute why I would do that. 
I could read, I could go be active, I could get on the computer. I could, I mean, there's always tons of work to do with the coaching and the social media. There's always other things to be doing. But as I sit there and watch ESPN at 2 p.m., that it, it doesn't register with me anymore. I turned that part of me off. I don't want that anymore. What is it you no longer want in your life? And then ask yourself, what is it you actually do want? Framing it as a do want rather than a don't want is really important. I'm not saying you don't need to use that negative energy. Well, I don't want to do meth anymore because I don't want to look the way I do in the mirror. Okay, I'm not saying don't utilize that energy. But what is it you do want to do? Well, I don't want to use meth anymore. Great. What do you want to be doing instead? I don't know what I want to be doing. Okay. Is there anything that you're interested in? Is there anything that you've seen somebody else do that you're just mildly interested in? When you keep going back to this, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, then you know what? Just go for a walk. Go for a walk and listen to me. Go for a walk and listen to another show. Go for a walk and listen to some music. Go for a walk. When your body is moving and you start to get yourself into those, the, 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 the rhythmic pace of walking, your mind can just sit there and go off in its own little place. If it's going into negative land, then you know what? Give, tell your mind, okay, I'm going to give you a couple more minutes on this and then we're going we're gonna to switch the topic. And start thinking about the things you do want to do. Start Googling about the things that you could do with sobriety recovery. I can come up with a list a thousand miles long. So could the internet. Anybody can tell you 50,000 things that you could do with all the time that you now have whenever you're sober. But you have to figure out what is it that fires you up. In later episodes, we're going to talk about goals and standards and this purpose. All humans want a purpose. Maybe they don't want it, but they definitely need it. There's got to be something about you. Something within you. That says, no, this is what it is I really want in life. You have put so much effort into the things that you don't want in life. Imagine if you put that much effort, that much time into the things that you do want. And to talking to yourself about the things that you do want. About having those tough conversations. Because here's the thing, and I've noticed this about tough conversations with my girlfriend, my family members, or whatever. I can ignore them and not have those tough conversations. Then I just end up having them in my head. Then it just, it never stops. It's like this constant just zoom, 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 zoom loop that gets created. You think you're pushing it away, but it's back there. There's a part of your brain that is still giving it energy. The only way to really bring that to some level of conclusion, to some level of, of fruition, to say, okay, well, I've at least moved forward on this, is to have that conversation. And it may not feel great in the moment, but it'll feel way better when it's done. I've had some tough conversations with the girlfriend. They're not always fun while it's happening. Sometimes I'm not as willing to take on the personal responsibility of not complaining, blaming, and making excuses. And then we have a conversation. I'm like, okay, I have to take my part in this. It is just part of the process of being human. Who's in your environment? I tried to do an episode with my dad on the boat and talk to him about if, if, if he had somebody walk into his office and he is, he was a drug and alcohol abuse counselor for families and individuals, teenagers and everybody in between for 30 years. I was like, what would be something that you would talk about? What would be day one? What would you tell them to be paying attention to? And he said, the environment. Is your environment conducive to what you want to do? Is it safe to be sober where you're at? Are the people around you going to support that? If you're living in a flop house full of meth heads, it's probably not going to be the best place to try to get sober. If you go back to your home and there's people drinking there, yelling and screaming, and that's going to cue you and trigger you, then that's not good. Then that environment's not going to be good for you. 
you would he's like, he even said he's like you know back in the day people used to bend over backwards to get high but somehow when they get sober they stop realizing that it takes just as much effort to be clean and to make that this life work as, as much as it took all the effort to find the drugs and be high and be holding on by the skin of their teeth then it's going to take a ton of effort. It's just funny how much effort we were willing to find cocaine at three in the morning, but how much effort we're not willing to put into going out and, and finding some time to get some steps, to go for a walk, to have a, to have a fun or tough or loving or beautiful or difficult conversation with our loved ones. But we have plenty of time to yell and scream at them before. Like John Wooden, the college basketball coach known throughout the land for winning all those championships with UCLA used to say, is like, if you don't have time to do it right the first time, when are you going to have time to do it again? I mean, it's like, it baffles me when I talk to people and, and they start to tell me what they're doing with their day. And then they say, but I just don't have the time to do this, 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 or this. And I'm just like, I'm sitting there like, my goodness, you just rattled off like five things that aren't even necessary in your life. If you're staring at your phone instead of getting steps, you need to check yourself. If you're watching TV instead of going out and working a little bit harder to get yourself out of financial debt so that you can afford some nicer things and you can start to really create the life that you've always desired, you need to check yourself. If you think that you're going to be able to pull all this stuff off by minimally changing your life, you need to check yourself. That is not the way that this is going to play out. There's going to be massive change. Massive change. And the coolest thing, and I said it about 20 minutes ago, is you don't got to do it all today. Today, just stand up. Find some time to go for a walk. Figure out a way to stack a bunch of books on your desk so that you can have your monitor up and your keyboard up so that you can stand rather than sit. Change something about your environment. Do something with your physical body. When your physical body is active, it sends adrenaline and your neurons start to fire differently. And next thing you know, your dopamine and your serotonin levels are up. And I get it. You might be at day one and laying in bed, vomiting and pissing yourself. That's beautiful. Congratulations on being willing and able to go through that, that process in order to come out the other side of it, ready to do something amazing with your life. If today it's just enough for you to put your feet on the ground and go take a shower and sit on your couch, congratulations. Tomorrow, maybe you get up, take a shower, sit on your couch, and then go walk to the mailbox. What is something you can do? I can't sit here and come up with infinite examples of something you can do, but if in your head right now, your first response is, well, I can't do that because, then I'm going to call bullshit. I don't want to hear, I can't do that because. Don't do one of the things that I've said then. Come up with your own, but do something. There's only so much hand-holding that anybody is going to be able to bring to the table on this with y'all. There's only so much hand-holding that anybody was willing to bring to the table on mine. Whether it was Daniel, my therapist, or Melissa, my therapist, or my parents, or anybody else who was, you know, mildly associated with the beginning stages of my sobriety and recovery, there's really very little that they could do on a day-to-day basis to make sure that this was working for me. When I think about Patrick or Tony or Melissa or so many of my friends that were just so worried about my drinking and what I was doing to myself, what were they going to do? What were they honest to God going to do? 
standing over my shoulder all the time, yell and scream at me, berate me. Yeah, because that worked so well as a child that as soon as I found intoxicants, I was ready to jump head first into them. I could yell and scream at you guys, or I could coddle you guys. And it doesn't really matter what change it is, honestly, because I, I mean, and I'll say this, and I'm sure some people would disagree, but alcohol, drug use, it's it's just a habit. It's a habit that you started that you then went off and built thousands of other habits around. So when you take alcohol and drugs out, or sugar, whatever, thousands of other habits are now affected by you taking that out. It'd be like if the sun didn't come up today. Think about how many millions upon millions of things are reliant on the sun coming up. The habits that plants and trees and people have formed around the sun rising at six in the morning. And if it just doesn't one day, think about how screwed up everything would feel for that day. If you take the sunshine out, nothing would understand what the hell's going on. Sobriety and recovery is like bringing the sunshine back. But you've been in the dark for so long. Imagine what it would feel like to all of a sudden have light. You would be confused, disoriented, unaware of what to even do with all of the light. You'd still see some shadows in the corner and there'd be your shadow self saying, come back, come back to the shadows. We were comfortable here enough. Don't fight it. Just get high. Everything will be okay. But you've contemplated and planned beyond that now. Whatever is happening in this given moment as you're listening to this and you think, can I make this change in my life that I've been wanting for so long? The answer is absolutely. Are you going to bring in meetings, programs, therapists, coaches, mentors, sponsors? Are you going to keep listening to my show? Are you going to go join the hub and learn about how your mind has literally created your reality? Are you into that level of psychology? Does does it help you to understand the why and the what of how you got into this? Certainly, I think that's what has drawn you to listen to 174 episodes of this show. Physical body, physical environment. You can change those things right now. You can be doing something about those things right now. Is this the perfect episode? Did I cover everything? That's impossible. Can you Google how to, you know, what to do when you're first sober? All those blog posts are going to say the same thing. And they might give you some ideas and you might feel action oriented towards them. But like Aubrey talked about when she was on the show a couple weeks ago, it's not enough to just tell you what to do or have you come up with ideas about what you want to do and then say, okay, now go do them. There's blocks in your mind that have been programmed into you over years and years and years. This is why I believe that my sobriety recovery has been so amazing and has been so beneficial to me. Because I learned NLP. I learned how to change the way that I see my past. I learned how to experience the present more in the moment. And I learned how to to think about the future in a more... Um, expansive way. I completely changed the way that my brain worked. I am nowhere near the person I was five and a half years ago. Yeah, at the core base of me, I am me. But the things I care about and I talk about and I know about and the experiences and the knowledge that I've applied and evaluated, 
It's so beyond expansive, I, I couldn't even have begun to imagine this. And I can still go back to day one, sitting there at Kaiser Permanente, sweating through my clothes, feeling like shit, wanting to vomit, but not having anything in my belly to vomit up, barely being able to hold down water, watching all these people around me whisper and talk to themselves and make all these noises because they were wherever they were at. Out of the 30-some people in that meeting that day, only three or four of us, um, I remember because we all went through the same program at the same time, only about three or four of us were new that day, and only two of us made it through. And I just created a habit. Mondays was meetings and go to Kaiser. Tuesday was clean up my house and go to the gym. Wednesday was go to work. Wednesday through Saturday mornings was always go to work. Afternoons was go to the gym. Wednesday nights and Friday nights there was meetings at the hospital. Friday was my soberversary anniversary because it was a Friday I'd gotten sober. So it was the first six months every Friday. I was happy about that, right? And then I would, you know, weekends I'd work, then I'd do something active on Sunday, and then I'd be right back into the same meeting system on Monday through Friday. And it was just each day. I was like, okay, you know what? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. When I wasn't feeling bad, I was like, well, going back to using won't feel much better because that detox sucked. And I just refused to let myself go backwards. I cut off a lot of friends. I moved all the furniture around in my in my bedroom that I could built a stand-up desk and brought in a new roommate and, you know, started working different sections of the restaurant at my uh, at my hotel just so I could experience a different version of the environment. Spent an inordinate amount of time in the gym. But I started to, I paid attention to my physical body because I knew, I talked enough and read enough from people to know the physical body is where to start. The first year, you're going to spend a ton of time getting your physical body back to some level of, of homeostasis of balance. Year one is really physical body oriented, focused. Year two is when we start to bring back in the emotions and and uncovering how to to work with those. And mind you, you're going to be working on your emotions and your spirituality and your mentally just as much as you're going to be working on your physicality of that first year, but it's the physical body. When you start to feel stuck, you're not stuck, you're standing still. Get up and go fucking move. And if you're throwing out excuses for why you don't have time for five minutes worth of steps every hour, or your job makes you stand at a cash register for eight hours a day, or they make you sit at a cubicle for eight hours a day, there's got to be somewhere in there, before or after, work, whatever it is, where you can say, okay, it's time to go get my physical body active. What is something I am doing in my life that is no longer serving me? Bye-bye TV. Bye-bye social media. Focus on something new. Get your physical body and your environment shifting, and things will begin to feel different. And as the more and more things feel different, the more and more things you can bring in. Physical body, environment. Pay attention to those. I'm going to get you out on here on this. God, I swear I, I never mean for these episodes to be as long as they are. When you think about your environment, think about your room, office, your home, your work, what city, state, country, who's in your environment, who are you regularly talking to, who's always around you. Environment encompasses everything outside of your body. Is Are all of the things outside of your body, not even all, that's too big of a word, are as many of the things possible outside your body benefiting you toward your goal, towards this desire to be sober today. You're new to this. Don't worry about next year. Today. Think about today. 
Think about a few days in advance. Think about the next week. Come up with a really cool plan for the one month soberversary. If yours, like mine's on the 13th. So every 13th, I do something cool. Plan something cool for your soberversary every month. Plan something cool to celebrate every week. Even if it's just going on a hike that used to exhaust you and now you can walk all the way up it without stopping. When you experience those changes, applaud yourself for them. Even the slightest step forward is better than standing still. No one said it was going to be easy, but it is infinitely easier than living a life of addiction for the next however many years of your life that you have to live. Nothing nothing will change if you're not willing to change it. I want you to succeed. I hope that this episode has brought you some level of inspiration and now you can internally motivate what it's going to be like for you. Everything is going to change in your life when you make this decision. Everything. And if that sounds too vast and too infinite, just realize it it doesn't all have to change today. What's one thing you can do for one minute that will start to bring you closer to a life where addiction is so far in the background you don't even remember that episode anymore? It's attainable. It's attainable, my friends. If you want to know more about how to do this, hit me up. I'm always available on social media. I'd love to discuss with you some ways to learn NLP, to to get some recovery coaching, join the hub, whatever it might be. If I can be of service, let me know. As always, my friends, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Until we meet again, you know where we're going to go with this. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine Glow On. See you next week. Bye-bye.